Acts chapter 10, starting halfway through verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead, and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, We are going to spend a few minutes looking at that uh, passage, so do keep it open. Um, Page 1104, if you've closed your Bibles, um, and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words we've just read. And as we think about them now for a few minutes, help us to have a big vision uh, of what you have done um, and are doing in the world. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever had that experience uh, where 
in hindsight, you realize your expectations have been quite limited compared to what happened uh, in the outcome. A bit like your, your expectations were completely blown open. Um, as I was thinking about this this week, one of the obvious examples that sprung to my mind uh, was from when uh, I worked before training for ministry. Um, now, some of you know I worked for a software company before uh, I began training, uh, and we made software for uh, councils um, up and down the country. And during my time working there, uh, one of the councils we worked quite closely with uh, approached me and said, uh, would you like to develop a new piece of software for us? We think that this would uh, work quite well. Uh, It would be for all our customer service staff uh, to, uh, and as uh, um, a citizen came to us, you know, you could present us with some information um, about them and we could record uh, the various bits of information that they want to tell us uh, and we could process their inquiry. Uh, And it sounded really interesting. Um, so we agreed to do it. Uh, I took the lead on this project, which meant I was uh, developing um, designs. Um, I was managing um, the, the, the drawing up the specifications, the liaising between uh, the customer and uh, our teams, all the implementation, you know, even future roadmaps of, of what that, this might look like. Uh, and then I went to our first proper meeting about it, uh, and I was handed six A4 bits of paper with hand-drawn diagrams of what what these computer screens could look like. I mean, it wasn't wasn't much to go on. Uh, And I guess my honest expectation at that point was like, this would be fine, but it's only going to work for these guys and maybe one or two other councils. Uh, It's it's quite basic. Um, It's quite specific to the way that they work. Um, but we began the development, you know, uh, uh, the, those drawings became a prototype, a prototype became an uh, alpha release, and then we had a beta release each week. I was driving um, from uh, where we lived in Cambridge to this council every Thursday to show them the progress and get the, get the feedback. Um, it wasn't straightforward, uh, lots of setbacks, and that doesn't help uh, raise any expectations. But long story short, the council went live. Uh, with this piece of software about a year later, uh, and it worked well for them. Um, and I thought, great, we've, uh, you know, we've completed the project. Uh, it might be one or two other councils uh, would be interested. But in hindsight now, my expectations were clearly way too limited. What I hadn't expected, as as we started talking about the work we'd done, started demonstrating it to other councils, that they'd become very, very interested. In fact, so much so that they wanted to use it and, de- and develop it further, to the point where when I left to train for ministry, I was, de- I was demonstrating this piece of software to through two or three councils a week. Uh, it was the fastest-selling piece of customer service software in the UK local government market. Um, you know, from six bits of hand-drawn paper to a piece of software that was being used by a good number of councils, including in one county, every single council uh, was using this piece of software. It was an exciting time. And my limited expectations had been blown wide open by what had happened. Now, I wonder if you've had a, a similar experience where you look back and thought, not much is going to happen. Uh, and then far more did. And I think uh, that's uh, what's happening to Peter here in Acts 10. To some extent, if we've worked through Acts uh, up until this point, um, 
the apostles have had quite limited expectations. They've been working, um, although lots of exciting things uh, have happened, um, they've uh, seen Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit has come, they've boldly proclaimed the gospel, uh, the church has grown. But they've been working in a, in a relatively small geographical area amongst quite a, a limited number of people. They've been in Jerusalem uh, amongst the Jews, places uh, and people they knew well. And they'd had their, their bumps along the way, their setbacks, which hasn't uh, probably helped their expectations. But in order for the gospel to go further, to the ends of the earth, uh, as Jesus said it would, they needed those expectations to be blown wide open. A wider group of people, a wider interest. And Acts 10 and 11 serve that purpose uh, as we work through Acts. Blowing those expectations wide open. There's uh, an 18th century Italian painting uh, of the scene of Acts 10. Because it's a, it's a chapter that begins with Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius uh, is a devout, God-fearing man, but clearly a Gentile. Uh, that means he wasn't a Jew. Uh, he wasn't part of God's Old Testament uh, people. Uh, and in Acts 10, verses uh, 1 to 6, we read about how he receives a vision from God uh, to go uh, and send some people to fetch Peter. Now, uh, as those uh, people are going out, Peter also uh, gets a vision. Um, that's in uh, verses 9 to 16. And it's a slightly stranger vision because it is a sheet coming down from heaven with animals uh, on it, um, and him being told to eat the animals. Uh, now, the only animals on the sheet, uh, some were what the Jews considered clean and were allowed to eat, uh, and some were unclean, uh, and Jews weren't allowed to eat them. But Peter is told in this vision uh, to eat both. Uh, and it's clear that at first he does not understand the meaning of that vision. But he's also told that these men would come, and he was to go with them to see Cornelius. So when they arrive, off he goes. And that's where our reading uh, began in that second half uh, of verse 23 underneath that heading. The next day, Peter started out uh, with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him, and had called together his relatives and close friends. Uh, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. You can kind of see Cornelius must have heard something uh, about Peter. You know, as as Peter approached, he falls at his feet, uh, and I wonder if that shows that Cornelius kind of got something, but didn't really get the gospel. The fact that he falls at the the feet of Peter. You know, Peter has none of it. He tells Cornelius to to get up. I'm only a man. You know, I'm uh, I'm not a god. Don't bow to me. And, and actually, as they enter the house. They're walking in uh, as equals, chatting. Uh, And they walk in, and Peter sees uh, this crowd of people. I imagine he's quite shocked at the number of people that Cornelius has has pulled together for his arrival. This is not somewhere Peter has been before. It's not someone he knew. It's not a a welcome home uh, party. This is just Cornelius' friends uh, and family that he's rapidly gathered together to hear what this uh, man that God had commanded him to go and get would have to say. And when Peter sees them all, um, he says this in verse 28. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. 
But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was, I, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? As you work through the narrative of uh, Acts 10, it's not entirely clear um, at what point uh, the vision that Peter received from God, uh, he, un- he understands it. But it's, Luke has kind of deliberately left it in the story as he tells it to hear so that we as readers can pick up on its significance. See, the reason for God showing these clean and unclean animals to Peter was that in Jesus' new kingdom, those categories of clean and unclean didn't exist anymore. Not just to foods, but more importantly, as Peter is discovering, to people as well. No longer Jew or unclean Gentile. That's what Jews thought of Gentiles. They were unclean. They wouldn't have gone into the houses. They wouldn't have eaten with them. They wouldn't have shared any religion with them. But those categories just don't exist anymore. You can see uh, in verse 28 that Peter's expectations are, are beginning to be blown wide open. He can engage with these Gentiles. But actually, God is going to blow, blow it wider even still. You see, off the back of Pene- uh, Peter's question, Cornelius explains why he uh, sent for him. And then he ends in verse 33, the second half, verse 33 there. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter's got a captive audience. And if we've learned anything as we've gone through Acts, uh, Pete doesn't, uh, Pete, Peter, Pete to his mates, Um, Peter uh, doesn't miss those kind of opportunities. And so verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And in, in just those two verses, I think we get, as Peter uh, begins his, one of his next great evangelistic speeches, we get the very heart um, of what this passage is all about. God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. Now, that's not to say, let's just uh, be clear of one thing before we go any further. That's not to say that God did show favoritism in the Old Testament. Um, There was always a way for the Gentile to become part of the Jewish community. Uh, And for men, uh, that was uh, demonstrated and shown through circumcision. Hence why you get the reference to um, the circumcised believers in verse 45. It's not really about uh, that God, God does not show favoritism, but the reason I think it's put here like this is that actually what's happening is Peter's thoughts are being readdressed. And as we see, uh, if you would read, to read on into the start of chapter 11, actually it's the other apostles and believers as well. They need their expectations readdressed. The view of who could be included in God's people has changed. God does not show favoritism. You see, it's no longer about circumcision or, na- um, or nationality. Uh, God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
It doesn't matter about backgrounds. It doesn't matter about nationality, uh, ethnicity, social standing, financial income, physical ability, educational pedigree, employment or your lack of it, uh, marital status, where you live, your family background, whatever it is. All these things are stuff that we use to categorize people. But God doesn't show favoritism. Actually, it's anyone who fears him, anyone who recognizes who they are before him and their their need for Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Anyone does that? Anyone who does what is right? There's an outworking of their faith um, that it's displayed. Anyone like that, anyone like that is accepted by God. And do you see what that means? The, The gospel is for anyone. Anyone here tonight. It doesn't matter if you feel inadequate. It it doesn't matter if you came here tonight hurt and downcast. It it doesn't matter if you don't feel part of the in crowds. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your backgrounds. That invitation, the gospel, is, is thrown open to anyone. God does not show favoritism. That invitation is thrown out not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. And that's what we see in Acts 10 as Peter continues his gospel explanation. We don't have time, uh, I wish we did, to to look at it in detail. Go back over it and read it. It shows us the the key points um, uh, of the gospel. But let's just pick up the last couple of sentences um, that he uses after he's explained how Jesus was sent into the world with power, he was killed on a cross, he was risen from the dead. Uh, Peter has witnessed all these things. Peter says in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Can you see what Peter's saying here? There's a judgment coming. Jesus is going to be the judge. And he's going to be the judge of everyone, both the living and the dead. But everyone, no matter who you are, no matter your background or anything else, who believes in Jesus receives that forgiveness of sins. In other words, everyone who believes in Jesus will be judged as though they've done nothing wrong. As though they've kept God's law perfectly and they'll be welcomed into eternal life. You notice the criteria there is nothing to do with your background, nationality, or anything like that. It's about how you respond to Jesus. And Peter's expectations about who will respond are now getting blown completely out of the water. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Holy Spirit comes on these uncircumcised people while Peter is explaining the gospel to them. 
And he takes those uh, Jewish circumcised people who are wrong. They take them a little bit by surprise. But Gentiles, and I'm guessing most of us here are Gentiles, are included in Jesus' kingdom. God shows no favoritism. You know, as we've been working through Acts each week, we've been saying that Acts just makes us certain that, that Jesus is still working and establishing his kingdom. That, that God is uh, in control of the spread of the gospel. And don't we see it again here? He gives his Holy Spirit, he gifts it to Cornelius and those others that are gathered around him. They believe. They praise God. And Peter, expectations, blown, sees what's happening. Verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. It's the order that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. God shows no favoritism, now Peter's showing no favoritism. He sees what's happened and he baptizes these Gentile believers. That new public sign uh, of faith in Jesus. They are treated exactly the same as circumcised believers had been so far. See, God has given all who believe the gift of his Holy Spirit. You know, what began as a, a, a limited expectation uh, of who might receive this gift is, is blown out of the water. It doesn't matter who the person is. It's no longer about clean and unclean, Jew and Gentile. Anyone, anyone who believes in the name of Jesus can be saved. So I wonder as we sit here tonight where we need our expectations blown open like this. Are there people we think, either consciously or unconsciously, couldn't be part of Jesus' kingdom? Perhaps uh, it's the person whose lifestyle seems so opposed to the gospel. You think they're never going to be able to change their, their way of living, never want to hear about Jesus. If you think that sometimes, and I know I do, then look at Saul in Acts 9 that we looked at last week. Jesus is more powerful than his fiercest enemies, and can bring belief even to them. Perhaps for you it's the person from a, a country where the gospel is rarely spoken about. There are few believers. They're, they're, how will there be opportunities uh, for someone like that to hear about Jesus? What do you think like that sometimes? Look back to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 that we looked at two weeks ago. Someone from the ends of the earth who met a single believer, heard the gospel, and believed. Perhaps you're the type of person who thinks it's someone from a different religion that will never turn to Jesus. They're too set in their religious ways. Well, then reread Acts 10. Even the uncircumcised Gentiles were brought to belief in Jesus. They're, they're all three are examples in just these last three weeks, of people you wouldn't expect to turn to Jesus. But they do. God shows no favoritism. In fact, if we think the, that uh, people aren't going to turn to Jesus, then can I say gently, and I say it to myself, the problem isn't God. The problem's us. We've started to show favoritism. We've started to become the judge 
And we need our expectations blown wide open again. See how God saves people. We're really fortunate at Platt that actually there are people from such a wide range of countries and backgrounds and things here. uh, And we see that. But if you want to see more, pick up a a recent biography. uh, Read a a mission agency's uh, website. See what God is doing in various different places that we in the West think are, are really hard. See that God is still saving people you wouldn't expect. Because he shows no favoritism. Let me give you one example um, as I close. A better one than, than the software one I began with. A couple of years ago, I uh, met a guy. Um, he, I can't remember his name, but he was from Iraq. Uh, he told me how he'd walked from Iraq to the UK. Um, for obvious reasons, he needed to uh, es- escape um, uh, the country. Uh, and he had come to this meal. Um, and if I'm honest, uh, I thought he was probably at this meal for a bit of company and some free foods. But after the meal, we had um, a time of, uh, of singing and prayer. And as that began, my expectations were blown out of the water again. This guy sat there singing his heart out to God, praising God. He, he prayed uh, in the most amazing way. It suddenly didn't matter where he was from. We had Jesus in common. God is doing amazing things around the world. God is doing amazing things in this city. Bringing people we wouldn't expect to know and to love him. All sorts of people are coming to believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is still at work establishing his kingdom. Let's not limit our expectations. Uh, let's see that how wide this can be blown, as open as it can be. All types of people are included. God shows no favoritism. He's the one who's in control of the spread of the gospel. Peter's expectations will certainly change that day. Let's pray ours would be too. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Lord, may we know those truths too. Amen.